Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Can you believe it's June already? That we're almost halfway through 2021? How's that even possible? June, of course, is Pride Month, so I'd like to start off by wishing everyone a happy Pride. As an audio fiction show that infests your brain with disturbing imagery and nightmare-inducing narratives, We make an effort to be inclusive in everything we do, from race and culture to gender. We are so proud to count some incredible 2SLGBTQ plus talents among the children of the night, whether that's staff, authors, narrators, or listeners. It's been a very long road starting to create spaces where diversity, tolerance, support, and inclusivity can flourish. And there's still lots of work to be done. But we promise, Tales to Terrify will always do our best to help support these communities and be the right kind of terrifying. Where people across the broad, rich spectrum of humanity can feel safe delving into the shadows of the supernatural and the unknown. Speaking of the unknown, we've just taken a leap into some unfamiliar territory for our podcast, a brand new reward for our fans on Patreon. Thanks, once again, to the intrepid tenacity of our own Meredith Morgenstern and some moral and technical support from her son, Tales to Terrify is officially on Discord. That means all patrons at the $5 or higher level now have access to our server for one-on-one discussions and interactions with the Tales to Terrify staff, as well as a growing number of authors and narrators. Down the road, we've got some big plans for Discord, which include AMAs with your favorite authors and voice actors and possibly even some live readings. I promise to share more details as they emerge. But you don't have to wait to join the conversation. If you'd like to join us on Discord, 
maybe pop in for a recommendation of something to read or watch, or drop us your thoughts on the best horror games you're playing, visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify and sign up. You'll be provided with your own custom invite as well as details on how to activate it. And when you sign up, make sure to drop an introduction so we can give you a proper Tales to Terrify welcome. Submissions remain open. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions, of course, is where you can go to share that piece of darkness that's been curdling in your brain. We would love to read it. We've received a handful of truly disturbing entries for our t-shirt design contest. In the hopes of capturing a few more stragglers, we'll be extending the contest by a couple of days, until June 11th. So, if you've been madly scratching out your mind-bending masterpiece, the sooner we get to devour it, the better. TalesToTerrify.com slash design contest has all the details you need to enter. Thanks and good luck to everyone who's entered. Next week, we'll be starting our exploration of the dark side of La Belle Province, Quebec. But tonight, we're going to hit up the way station, grab some rest, maybe a snack or two, and dive right into our fiction. Our first story for the evening comes from Stephen Roysom. Stephen Roysom's unique stories come from a surgically placed bubbling cauldron between his ears. For almost 20 years, he worked as an award-winning public radio reporter, bringing concise, powerful stories to a statewide and sometimes national audience. Fueled by Diet Pepsi, his writing travels from horror, fantasy, every day, to the flat-out weird. He's often found on Facebook. Children of the Night, join me for Stephen Roysom's Slay It Forward, a Tales to Terrify original. The town of Bridgeland, North Dakota, lacks a bridge and holds very little land. There's no town square, no village hall with signs and lights that say, hey, we're an inviting town, downright bursting with tourism potential. It's a rural community, miles away from any paved highways, just gravel roads. There are no businesses, no gas station, no hardware store, no restaurants. The empty buildings in Bridgeland have corroded from ravenous winter winds streaking wild over the flat lands. The stop sign on the north side of Main Street is nearly bleached white from all the years of the sun bearing down on it, never to be replaced, never heated, always ignored. On occasion, Local cows mosey away from their pasture. They can be seen meandering down Main Street. People in pickup trucks simply drive around. Everyone figures the right farmer will be around to reclaim them at some point. College recruiters came to the high school the other day. Nearly all of the kids signed up for admission like they were gasping for air to get out of there. Clem Branson wasn't among them. He beat the pack and ponied up his signature in June, a community college around 200 miles east. They crank out teachers like sausage. That's what Clem's grandpa said. Teachers putting crazy thoughts in your head. It's okay if the white people wrote the history books. He turned the volume back up on his TV. In his mind... Clem was already embracing the idea of escape from all of this. 
Senior year just started. Nine more months and a summer to ride out. Clem contemplated his hands smelling like the sweet, dank odor of cow shit. He hadn't really paid attention to that until recently. With his life changed somewhat close at hand, he'd started to notice the smell more and more. Not just the hands, but the shit-covered boots sitting on a rug inside the front door of the house. With milking wrapped up, he switched to his school clothes and scrubbed his hands hard. Then he set out to walk the mile and a half into town like he always did. Pre-dawn winds kicked up dust off the gravel road. The sun looked like orange paint spilling over green fields. He saw, of all things, a station wagon up ahead, idling. The decades-old dinosaur sat right in his path, obviously waiting for him. A hand stuck out, holding a fan of five twenty-dollar bills. Clem bent low to figure out who was inside. He could see a window being cranked open and yelled, It's you? Aw, shit, man. Clem was never one to turn down money, let alone from his Uncle Lodi, which he hadn't seen in two years. Two Christmases blew by, and here he was, on a sanguine, autumn-like summer day the guy who hammered against his family on social media, like he was howling over them, like they had left him, even though no one in his family moved away. Most of the time, when he was even brought up, the Rellies, relatives, remembered him fondly and wondered when he was coming back to them. Sure, he had been quiet all his life. He was always quick to smile. They figured he was okay until he disappeared. Now, here Lodi was, extending a gloved hand with money in his fist. If his sleeve was any indication, he was wearing a heavy plaid shirt that made more sense in mid-January than early September. Clem saw a glimpse of skin on Lodi's wrist, as white as liquid paper. The man's face was shadowed under the bill of his tightly pulled-down cap. He hollered, Hey, fresh blood, slide on in here. Clem jammed the money into his pocket, but wondered, what was the hook here? Why meet here, with less than a mile from town? Like a lot of confident teens, he even talked with a swagger. Uncle Lodi, shit, man. How long has it been? They clasped their right hands together for a vigorous handshake that would strain most men's arm sockets. Lodi smiled. Too long, Clemmy. Too damn long. Get in, college boy. Clem came around the front of the car, opened the passenger side, and swung in. The side sagged. Station wagon, huh? Never ridden in one of these. Saw pictures, though. Yep, little piece of history. History is important, Lodi said, then waved away at the words, like he was shooing them away like flies, getting ahead of himself. Instead, he said, You and college. Wow. So far away. Exciting. Thanks, man. Yep, exciting. Clem couldn't think of any way to move the conversation along. Maybe asking where he had been for two years? After reading his rants online, he decided it probably wasn't the best idea. Also, he was puzzled over why all the windows in the car were tinted sort of pea-ish yellow and brown. Lodi said, Let's drive. Bet your old man didn't mention I have lakeshore property. Dad hadn't. Let's get you out there. It's a good place for a talk, he said. About what? Your future, of course. Duh, what else? The car smelled like beer, a scent Clem didn't mind. 
Another odor hung in the air that he couldn't quite name. The seat was sticky. Not enough to worry him. Lodi had been gone for two years. Clem didn't want to make a big deal of anything that would piss him off again. He wondered if his uncle actually owned this area or not. Surely once beautiful, Clem thought. Lodi talked wistfully about the wooden sentinels that once stood here. Elms, oaks, pines, whole bunch of family trees were once out here. Bet you didn't even know that. Blood in that soil. I mean that, too. Literally. They watched the sunrise. Clem, while sort of appreciative, had school in less than an hour, and also had twenty ounces of Mountain Dew pulsating in his bladder. I miss feeling that sunlight, Lodi said and sighed. Let's get to the meat of it. He turned on the overhead light. Hold your cookies in, bud. This is going to be brutal. Lodi's eyes were red, his pupils orange, his skin pasty white with black prickly whiskers as dark as a rural night. Clem wanted to write it off as some weird Halloweenish joke. Lodi said gravely, I want you to stay home. Screw college. So there it was. It was the first time someone had literally said, don't go. From the guy who left his life a long time ago. What? I can't stay? Clem sputtered his mind only halfway wrapped around what he was seeing now. I'm not going to stay here and be a farmer. There's no money in it. Not anymore. There's family. Really, Uncle Lodi? Family? I haven't seen you for two years. Clem winced a little, fearing his uncle would scream in his face. All the media posts were in capital letters. He figured Lodi was a screamer. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, Lodi said with grand gestures, as if what he was about to say required such big drama. We are farmers, too. You can't leave us, Clem. He hit the us particularly hard. Who are us? The family knows I'm going, even if almost no one is talking about it. No, meaning my real family. Cannibal vampires. Clem chuckled nervously. It was too much for him to believe. Still looking at his uncle's face. <laughs> ha ha, funny joke. No joke. We don't stop at the neck. Just like the animals around here, bodies can be used up in a variety of ways. You should come to our butcher shops. Jewelry, clothing, the brains are delicious. Lodi put both his thick hands on the sides of Clem's face and said, Accept this as reality, because it is. The fingernails were thick and hard, like talons. The hands felt parched and also extremely cold, too, like his uncle had spent the last two hours holding a block of ice in each hand. Clem curled his toes when anxious. He squeezed so hard his feet were cramping up. Uncle Lodi then let go. Let me continue, he said. You're like cattle, too, all you youngsters. But unlike those butter brains out there, you keep moving away. Fifty-eight is the average age in this county. In ten years, we'll have a serious food shortage from people dying of old age. So, new blood is going to be needed. We have ten years to revitalize the supply without having to start a war with nests from neighboring counties. Trust me, we are outnumbered. Stay home, have babies, 
Raise them until eight, nine years old. Give them to us. We've already talked to several of your classmates, and we plan to talk to the rest. Promise that. Consider it a slay it forward. Ensure a future food source. And I can keep our family, the one we share, safe. What the hell are you talking about? Safe from what? Well, from me, mostly. Lodi chuckled and reached under his seat. I'm venturing out into the business world. He presented a colorful, laminated menu and handed it to Clem. There were dishes named after every member in his family, such as Abe Apple Pie, Chipped Tina on Toast, Scrambled Steve, Marmalade Melinda. Most names he knew. Clem found his. Read that one aloud, Lodi said, bearing teeth like a smirking poker-playing shark holding a royal flush. I still bust a gut on that one. Clem Chowder. Really? The dish cost $2,500. The hell is this? His voice quivered ever so slightly. Now his fingers curled too. Not in a fist. Instead, out of fear. He had no intention of throwing a punch. Lodi cackled. He put something on his head. A chef's hat. I'm a vampire and a businessman, too. He produced a wooden mixing spoon. If others want to feed in this county, they have to order through me. This is my menu. It's new. You can keep that copy. I have more. Lots and lots more. Share them with friends. Clem knew he wouldn't be doing that at all. And the menu, so anyone who can afford $2,500? Shit, kid, you're just worried about yourself? Yep, for $2,500, I will let my chefs prepare you to be eaten. I will hand you over for profit. He smiled a toothy grin and produced a wad of $500 bills. The right amount right here. Payday! $2,500. Son of a bitch, this menu isn't even a week old. I can discontinue them after you agree to stay home. I'll revise the menus to reflect the people already eaten. I can't offer you twice. Rustling and creaking came from the back seat. Clem could swear he had not seen or heard anyone back there before. Or, Lodi said, it will go like this. Supply, meet demand. He threw the money in the air just for the heck of it. Something longingly licked the back of Clem's neck. The tongue was wide and flat with bristles. It left the back of his head slobbery wet. Clem pitched forward and turned his head. There were two others alongside the liquor, looking just like his uncle. The drool from the three in the back seat glimmered off the little light that the tinted windows allowed. They cackled like maniacal hyenas. Clem, the ultra-cool defensive lineman, honor student, state choir baritone, screamed. Let me off, Lodi, please. His door wouldn't open. He had tried to pull the handle while keeping his eyes on his wild-eyed uncle. Lodi squeezed Clem's shoulder. I control the locks. Soon done, sport. Clem wondered, did this man ever love him at all? Lodi then chortled dryly. <laughs> It's going to be worse. He then tossed a piece of hair and skin on the dashboard. Its tip was moist with fresh blood. Clem knew who it was from. Abe, 
his nine-year-old red-haired brother. Jesus, Clem said. Tell me you didn't do that. His toes hurt, cramping up. A little scalp, just to show you I'm not screwing around. Did it in his sleep, slipped through the windows, crawled on his ceiling, lowered my hand and snagged my prize. By the time he woke, I was already gone. Lodi shrugged. Clem remembered his brother screaming in his room less than an hour ago. But the kid screamed a lot, and he didn't even need a reason. Dad sometimes said that the boy was off a bit. Lodi held up a baggie, also full of scalp bits and fingertips. This is from last year's class. Did you notice? Fourteen blew off college and stayed home to raise babies. There were fifteen of them. Yeah, one eaten, Lodi said, clapping his hands once. The eternal sign for, we're done here, kid. I'm dropping you off here. You got a phone. You'll get a ride. Damn daylight. I've been out too long. Clem didn't dare look away. He felt all over for the door handle. He wanted to launch right out of there. I've always loved you, Clem. You're a hell of a nephew. Fuck you! You can probably buy a grandparent's house someday. They're almost knocking at that eternal door. Cancer is subtle, but I can smell it coming. Lodi pushed a trail of drool back into his mouth. In both of them, it's practically romantic. Just one last thing. There's a local rumor you might have livestock in another county. A daughter, right? Something I don't feel the need to taste any time soon. But she's up there, isn't she? His grin stretched wide. You don't get to leave, Clem. You don't get to go away. What? Finally, the door creaked open and Clem fell out. Lodi whipped his car around so sharply the door slammed closed again. He then rumbled back onto the gravel road. He honked his goodbye and hollered, We'll talk later! Now alone... Clem scanned the menu in his hand. There were no dishes starting with the letter H. She's not on here. Oh, thank you, God. Haley, his daughter, born with a flame from another town. Easily a three-hour drive. The only ones in this family who knew about her were his parents. So he thought. He pulled out his cell his other hand clenching his nervous gut. Then a voice on the other end spoke. He stopped her cold and said, Danielle, hey, hey, look, where's Haley? Clem couldn't hear his secret nine-month-old daughter in the background. A baby, the next generation. He whispered to no one there, You can't have her, Lodi. What's the deal, Clem? Danielle was a one-time hookup that led to a knock-up. Have you had any weird visitors lately? Any open windows? No, I haven't. Why? I'm not trying to sound like a dick, but don't come here. Not on holidays. Never. She chuckled ruefully. Trust me, we don't plan to. Put her on the phone, please. Okay. And she said the only word she had for him. I do, do, do. He smiled. His eyes watered. Honey, daddy loves you so much it hurts. Clem set his future right there. College was out. Raise new kids all to keep Haley off Uncle Lodi's menu. Yeah, sacrifices could be made, just 
not this one. Next one, for sure. Maybe the next several. But not Haley. It was only her future he cared about now. He knew classmates staying home to raise families. He'll be one of them, he decided. So many women around town. There will be someone willing to be his wife. He looked down the road. He saw a familiar station wagon parked along a field. Uncle Lodi honked one last time and drove away. Clem tried to calm down. A whiz in a bush helped with the bladder. Eventually, he reached town. Cows were tromping down Main Street again. He walked past them, patting each one like they were casual friends, down a grassy hill and to the high school. He and his classmates were cows, too, he reasoned. They don't run off too far. He thought, in their minds, the world was just one big pasture, and they never truly escape. That you can always find fences that keep you in. That was Stephen Roysom's Slay It Forward, as read by myself. If you'd like to know more about me, you can visit the staff page on our website, or always feel free to drop me a line on Twitter or Facebook. I'll put some links to my personal pages in the show notes. And of course, I promise to pop into Discord as often as I have the chance. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Our second tale tonight comes from Sarah Jane Huntington. Sarah Jane Huntington is the author of three books, two horror collections titled Paint It Black and Iron Maidens, and a young adult fantasy novel titled The Pawnbroker and the Boy. She lives in Derbyshire with her three cats, one dog, and is a nurse. Her work has been in a few anthologies with more stories due out this year. Listen with me, children of the night. To Sarah Jane Huntington's Mama, a Tales to Terrify original. Perspective. I like that word. Sometimes I let it roll around my tongue so I can enjoy the feel of it. Perspective can sum up a hundred different views, all of the same event. 
What appears as chaos to one is order to another. Our deep and dark horror movie style well, on the edge of our land, for example. A disused and dangerous relic to some, the home of monsters to my younger siblings. For me, it's the resting place of my mother. She went tumbling down, bouncing off the edges and screaming a wretched sound of despair. All the way down into that bottomless pit until finally I heard the faint thud as she landed, and then the quiet, blissful silence. I was the only witness to her accident, which was very lucky indeed. You see, I'm the one that pushed her. Sometimes people are capable of impossible things. You hear the stories of a parent suddenly able to move and lift a whole car after an accident to fearlessly rescue their trapped child. Amazing feats of strength under the right set of adrenaline-fueled circumstances. I think it's possible the same power can work in reverse. A good person suddenly capable of what others might call a horrific and sudden act of evil. As far back as I can remember, I've always hated my mother. While other moms would delight at their child's first steps, mine would wait for the inevitable crash to the floor so she could sit around laughing. A meanness lived inside her, a desperate cruelty, and in her it flourished. There was no love in her heart of hatred that I ever saw. My mother liked to blame her children for the state of her life, her home, and for her terrible self. Sometimes I tried to shift my perspective and try to imagine what caused her to become that way. But honestly, I think she was born rotten, and it grew. She gave birth to six of us in total, a litter. Two died at birth, but not one single tear was shed. The four of us children left were raised in filth. Grime covered every visible surface. Carpets were torn and dirty. Furniture was broken. The sofa had a hole big enough to swallow you up into its springs and foam-filled abyss. The windows were cracked and held together by thick black electrical tape, and two panes were missing entirely. Cupboard doors swung loose or long gone. As soon as I was deemed old enough, cleaning became my job, all while my mother would sit in the only good chair we had watching her quiz shows. She would shout at the TV, bark her orders, and eat bag after bag of potato chips. When she wasn't eating... You could hear her picking at her own skin. Pick, pick, pick. She started off picking her nails until all that remained were bloody stubs. Then she started on her fingertips until she advanced to her whole hand. Chunks would be missing like tiny bite marks, little pieces of skin falling to the floor like confetti. Sometimes she'd bandage the worst bits, but mostly she carried on. Pick, 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 until her hands resembled a burn victim, but that didn't stop her. Sometimes she'd get her large self in the station wagon and visit the store, coming back loaded with brown paper bags full of candy for herself. Each of us were given a bit if we'd gotten our chores done correctly. My father had run for the hills as soon as our mother was pregnant for the last time. He left so fast that he forgot his wallet and his car. I doubted it was the hills he ended up at. You won't get out of this, she'd bellowed at him the night he vanished for those mythical hills. He hadn't been a permanent fixture anyway. I knew him as someone who had dropped in occasionally once or twice a year, and he drank an awful lot too. He'd slur things like, Why aren't these damn feral kids in school? Or, I thought there were only three of them. The less said about him, the better, I guess. My little brother Ed became her favorite, and by that I mean he got less beatings than the rest of us, and he always had an extra serving of food when we actually had any. We had no other relatives that we knew of. No one ever came out to visit. We were a forgotten family on the very edge of an overlooked and half-derelict town. The land was bad. Nothing would grow. Even weeds refused to flourish, except for the hardiest stinging or poisonous nasty kind. 
when I was around twelve, I took to sitting on the splintered window seat in the room I shared with my sister. I'd gaze at the stars and I'd worry. I worried that if I left, my siblings would suffer more. I'd worry that if I stayed, I might not ever be able to escape. I knew there was a world out there, a whole full beautiful world to see and experience, and I yearned to be part of it. I knew it couldn't all be misery, cleaning, and hunger. Pick, pick, pick came the sound from downstairs. As my sister slept, I started forming the beginnings of my plan. The next day, I was up early to clean and to tend to the chickens. The well at the end of our property had long ago been covered in metal sheeting, but when I checked it was loose and placed over lazily. I lifted it, and I heard sounds, a kind of tired gurgling, almost like the noise our tummies made. I assumed it must be old water, still trickling from the nearby overgrown pond. I threw a small rock and waited, counting the seconds until it hit bottom. Seven glorious seconds, surely deep enough for someone to go plumbing to their death. Getting Ma outside would be the hard part. I tried and failed for days. My mother wasn't the type to fall for trickery. She'd only move if there was something in it for her. A year before, I fell down the stairs, arms full of her laundry I had to do within the hour. I bust my ankle pretty bad, and I screamed. But rather than help me, I got a slap around the head for disturbing her shows. You won't get out of this, bitch, she shouted and threw the dirty washing at me. In the end, and feeling like I had nothing to lose, I calmly walked in the living room and told her Ed was in the well. We were playing. He slipped, and I can't pull him up, Ma, I said. I'm not strong enough like you. I saw a range of emotions play over her face before she settled on anger. She came barreling at me, house dress flying out behind her, candy and bits of skin falling to the filthy carpet. I'll kill you, girl. You won't get out of this, bitch. She spat and hit me hard. Hard enough so my ears buzzed and I fell against the wall. She stormed out, thundering across the front lawn while I battled to get my senses back in time. I had a kind of tunnel vision in that moment, a perfect clarity and focus. All I could see was her massive behind as she peeked down into the well. Ed, she shouted, talk to Mama. She was just working herself up for a second yell as I swung and hit her in the back of the head with our chicken shit covered spade. You, she spun and gasped. Blood poured down the side of her head as her cold eyes turned full of the purest hate. I became filled with the certainty that it was either me or her in those seconds. So I pushed her. I gave her one big old mighty shove, and off she went down, 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 bouncing off the sides and screaming all the way. I had a feeling she'd done exactly the same thing to our father. I threw the spade in, then old straw and newspapers, old rags and soil until I felt confident she'd be covered up if anyone happened to stop by and look. I replaced the metal sheet and held it down with old bricks. I walked steadily back to the house as if nothing had happened. I cleaned myself up and gathered Ma's candy. I shared it equally between the three children as I explained Ma got tired of us and left. She's run to the hills just like father, I told them. Children are more resilient than you might think. There were a few tears of confusion, but the candy did its job and dulled the upset. Things will be different now, I told their beautiful, dirty faces. Very different. I thought of the old film when a house crashed down on an evil witch. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked witch is dead, they'd all sung. And I understood why just fine. The next couple of days were challenging. My siblings were overwhelmed by their new sense of freedom. They were no longer confined to their rooms, but running free like children do and should. I made a fire outside 
and hoped nobody from town would bother coming looking for its source. I burnt old furniture, rugs, and Ma's clothes. I bathed my sisters and watched the dirty water drain away, hoping our misery would go along with it, swirling away and off down the drain. Ed took his own bath in privacy, bribed into the water with promises of comics. On the third day I cooked, cleaned, and took stock. I found a large pile of money hidden in Ma's dresser, and that made me very happy. In the evening I was sitting in the one good chair so that I could think and make plans when I first heard it. My veins turned to ice as I waited. The sound felt as if it had come from the house itself, from the walls and from under the ground. Pick, pick, pick. I paused, wondering if it came from my own guilt-ridden mind, and I shook my head rapidly as if to free it. I paced the room and held my ground. Raised by the mother I had, it had made me fear almost nothing. The more I heard the sound, the more I became full to the brim with anger until it toppled over. You won't ruin our lives any more, I seethed out loud. The sound stopped abruptly, and I was spooked all the same. I took hold of one of our flashlights, and I placed extra bricks on top of the metal sheeting. I stood staring at the well and wondering until morning came. The next day presented problems. We needed food. I couldn't legally drive the station wagon, but that didn't worry me. I didn't want to leave my siblings, and I couldn't take them all with me. Forced into a corner, I told Ed he had to be the adult and be the man of the house while I went out. He puffed up his chest and took to the role just fine, so I made the drive into town feeling pleased I looked older than my years. I expected to be questioned, and I practiced my answers on the way but no one bothered me. I filled the cart with good and decent food. The store clerk raised a penciled-on eyebrow at me while I tried to smile sweetly, but nothing more. I got home and sat a moment, gathering my breath before I put everything away in its proper place. Pick, pick, pick. I ran into the living room furiously and found absolutely no one. But on the floor... On the ground I'd already cleaned and scrubbed repeatedly were pieces of freshly picked skin. That night I put my siblings to bed, freshly washed with brushed hair and teeth and full bellies. I sat in the living room and waited. I almost fell asleep, but then I heard it. A slow shuffle coming towards the house, my house. I stood quickly and headed to the curtains to peer out. I already knew what I'd see before I saw it. They say love never dies, but maybe hate doesn't either. My mother walked across the grass, almost naked, but with bits of her dress hanging off her in strips. The bright moon cast its light across our front yard as if my mother deserved her own spotlight. Mud and dark green slime covered her nearly head to toe as bits dripped off and trailed behind her. One sagging bare breast drooped out, hanging and wobbling with each jolt forward. Her left leg bent backwards, and she dragged it uselessly, using the spade as a crunch. Her face stayed locked in a grimace of rage and despair. She was dead set on our front door. She was coming for me. I knew it. I hadn't killed her properly, and now she was coming. Pick, 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 came the sound as I clamped my hands over my ears. The shuffling came closer, and I darted to the kitchen for the biggest knife I could find, fully prepared to kill her again. Mine now, I raged. I threw the door open and ran into the empty night. Nobody. No one was there at all. It's my mind, I told myself, my own mind and imagination. I hadn't felt any guilt when I pushed her, only freedom. But I suspected that maybe I felt it somewhere inside me, and I just didn't know.
The next day, I started to teach my sisters how to read. We joked and laughed. We drank fresh, wonderful juices and ate warm cookies. Ed discovered some paint in the shed out back, and he hummed away, happily painting the hallway. He did a very good job, too, and I hugged him proudly. For the very first time, he didn't flinch. In the evening, I lugged the TV upstairs. We ate popcorn and cuddled up under a blanket while we watched The Wizard of Oz. All of us fell asleep in a tangle like little kittens. I woke to the sound of shuffling outside and the familiar pick, pick, pick. I held on tight to my family and tried to only think of good thoughts. Eventually, it stopped. The next day I drove further to the bigger store out of town. I bought clothes and comics, books and more food. Half of me had wanted to keep driving, but of course I didn't. I had a reason to go home. I wanted to go home. For the rest of the day we played and laughed, silly games and hide and seek. I noticed the bricks lay on the ground near the well and the metal sheet had slipped off. I stood staring and thinking. In the evening I bathed my sisters and put them to bed. Both of them hugged me hard. I sat on the stairs with a big knife and waited. The shuffling started around 2 a.m. My mother stood at the closed front door. I listened for breathing, but she didn't take a single breath that I could hear. This is my house now, I told her through the door, and I swear I heard her. Pick, pick, pick. I'm not scared of you, I whispered. I repeated it over and over until I believed it myself. We stayed at a stalemate on each side of the door. You won't get out of this bitch, she spoke, just before the sun came up. I already have, I whispered back. I heard her shuffle away. When I finally opened the front door, there were no tracks, but a small pile of pick skin lay settled on the doorstep. I knew I had no choice. I could either give in to the fear, my own hidden guilt and paranoia, or I could try and undo the damage she'd done to all of us, myself included. Hate is a heavy burden to carry. It leaks into the deepest part of you, and it eats you away with its poison. My mother always said something was wrong with the land we lived on. She said nothing could grow or thrive. But thinking of her and all the hate she had inside, I knew something could grow. It all depended on your perspective. While my brother and sister tucked into a fried breakfast, I poured gasoline down the well. I set fire to an old cleaning rag and threw it in. The bang I hadn't expected shook the house and it knocked me clean off my feet. I landed on the grass with a thump, scooting backwards, then spinning and racing up. My family stood at the door with open mouths and wide eyes. I couldn't help myself. I started laughing. Soon, it was all of us doubled over, giggling. My tummy hurts, Ed said with a strip of bacon in his hand, and that started us all up over again. What banged? my sister asked. Mama did, I told her. Years have passed now, and since that day Mama didn't come back much. I'm still here. I don't know if it was the fire that finished her off, or if she really did die the first time around. But I do know one fact. Things can grow in this land, after all. Things can grow plenty, and they can flourish. Perspective My mother was evil cruel, and twisted up inside, and the land reacted. Or maybe it was the other way around. Myself and my siblings took that hate and we overcame it. We pulled up every bad weed and destroyed every mean thing on our land. Every time something bad grew back, we pulled it out again, and it gave up its fight. We grew pretty flowers and good crops. 
We banished all the hate and we replaced it with love every chance we got, and so that's what started to grow and started to thrive. Love. Sometimes I wake up in the night and I can hear her. Pick. 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 On occasion, I found dead, rotting bits of pickled flesh on our doorstep. But that hasn't happened for a long time now. I think her power is faded now. She's been overcome. I plan on filling in the well soon, pouring concrete down the whole drop just in case. You won't get out of that, bitch. That was Sarah Jane Huntington's Mama, as read by Seth Williams. Seth Williams is a narrator who has read for Far-Fetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and Tales to Terrify, where he currently volunteers as editor. When not day-jobbing, he enjoys listening to fiction podcasts and audio drama. He shares his life with an amazing partner, dog, and a cat. Thank you, Seth. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, aka Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify where you'll find all kinds of perks from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout-outs and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we open the pit to discover more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.